God's will, which is really about following the signs. And uh, from Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14, and I've encouraged you every week to read through Romans 12, 13, and 14. I'm going to encourage you again today, every week, let's read through those three chapters. And uh, God says right at the beginning of this, Paul says, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that if we, uh, if we allow God to transform our minds, we offer him our bodies as a living sacrifice, we can know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. And throughout those three chapters, then God really kind of shows us some signs. And some of those things are stop, some of them are speed limits, some of them are one ways and road close signs, and they're littered throughout those three chapters. And we've looked at a few of them over the last couple of weeks, but um, I, I just feel like I need to at least address um, the Supreme Court ruling from this weekend. Some of you may have uh, maybe not heard about it at all and you just don't turn on the TV or social media and so uh, you don't know anything about it. Some of you may be sick of it. Um, and so I'm just gonna give you a few statements about that. Um, I have put some things on my blog. I've put some things on my Facebook and so you know where, where I stand on it. But here's, here's statement number one. Um, homosexuality is a sin. Okay, it's, it's in the word, it's a sin. It's one of many sins, I get it, um, but the difference in our lives as people who sin that maybe aren't homosexual is we don't uh, celebrate our sins, we don't institutionalize our sins, uh, we weep over our sins. We cry out to Jesus for our sins. Yep, I sin just like a homosexual, um, but I don't celebrate it. And I don't say, well God, you know, it's just, it's okay. Uh, it is a sin. And there's a, a teaching that because Jesus never flat out spoke against homosexuality that he didn't have a problem with it. Um, but argument is uh, Jesus didn't speak about pedophilia either and uh, yet we know that he's not in favor of having sex with children so um, that's not an argument. The word is clear from beginning to end homosexuality is a sin. Um, the other statement is this idea that do not judge when Jesus says do not judge that he means don't tell anyone what sin is. Um, that's not what he means. Jesus in that passage of scriptures is condemning self-righteousness. And he warns people to remove the log from their own eye in order that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus is not telling us, you know, just walk through the world and don't ever tell anyone that their behavior is just sin. Wrong. Um, Jesus does tell us to warn others uh, what the word says, and so that's the statement. Um, to love my neighbor doesn't mean I have to condone their behavior. This idea that love is, you know, this mystical force or feeling that we have, love is an action. And if I stand here and you're about to fall in a pit, and I just, I don't, I mean, I don't yell because I don't want to, you know, intimidate you or frighten you, or I don't do anything, and you fall in the pit, I didn't love you. And that's what we're doing if we allow uh, people to live in homosexuality and say, it's not a sin, it's okay, God loves you. Yeah, God loves you, he sent his son to die for you so you didn't have to live in sin. Now, we don't have to, if our neighbor is homosexual, you don't have to browbeat them and every time you see them say, hey, homosexuality is a sin. Um, you know, there is a, a balance here and we don't have to be vicious, mean, name-calling or rude. Uh, the Bible says speak the truth in love, not speak the truth in sarcasm or speak the truth in 
um, malicious behavior or fight fire with fire. That's not found in the Bible. In fact, the Bible in Romans 12, 13, and 14 says, overcome evil with good, with good. And, you know, watching the, the newscasts of Christians yelling at homosexuals back and forth um, uh, and choosing sides, I think, dear Lord, uh, we're empowering the spirit behind this. Can I tell you there is a spirit behind this? Um, people that are homosexuals are victims of a spirit behind the homosexual movement. And this is not the end, okay? Um, this is just the beginning. This is not going to bring satisfaction to people. In fact, I, I was literally sick to my stomach watching people celebrate, knowing that uh, they're celebrating something that they think is gonna bring them fulfillment, uh, and it, it, it ends in death. There's no fulfillment there. Um, they're not going to find fulfillment. They're not going to find peace. They're not gonna find hope. They're not gonna find love in this. And this is not the end. Uh, there is a spirit that's driving this. And um, that said, we don't need to get all reactionary and blah either. Um, we pray. We pray. I mean, we call on the Lord. Romans chapter one clearly tells us that homosexuality is nothing more than a result of our rejection of God. I mean, when we say, I'm not gonna worship you as God, I'm not gonna be thankful, uh, the church is just as guilty of this as the world. We don't worship him as God. I mean, we come here and sing songs and we say things, but if we truly worshiped him as God, we would do what he says. And many of us in our lives, this is really gonna fit into what we're talking about today, don't make him Lord of our lives. We invite him as in as savior and forgiver, but we don't wanna make him Lord. And uh, that's, that can't happen. And when we do that, we create in our minds a God that's not revealed to us in the scripture. We create into our, our minds a God that wants us to be happy and not holy. And so we have to be careful that we don't uh, react to this movement. And uh, maybe the last statement I'll make is pursue personal holiness. Um, I get nervous anytime we point out sin because the Bible says be careful when you point out sin that lest you also fall. And uh, we, we just need to be careful. Um, it's one thing for us to talk about um, the sacredness of marriage when the divorce rate is very high in the church. Um, and when we're not sowing into our own marriages, um, we can't really talk about how sacred marriage is. So watch our lives closely. Um, because the enemy now will try to get in in different ways. And so um, just be careful. And so don't react, don't be mean, um, but you know, our lives aren't gonna change a whole lot after this verdict. It was already happening, it, it was already, uh, it's been sanctioned by our government. Is God gonna judge our nation? Um, well, I hope not, and I will cry out to him, as Second Chronicles says, and plead on behalf of our nation uh, not to have judgment. And so I'm not going to warn everybody that judgment is coming. I'm going to begin to intercede that judgment doesn't come, and that the kindness of God somehow leads us to repentance. So those are my thoughts, and uh, as I said, we're going to continue through our series on living in God's will, which is important. Um, we talked about waking up not driving drowsy from Romans chapter 13, that we need to be engaged in faith, that we can't just assume that uh, we're gonna live in God's will um, any more than you can get in your car and just wait for it to start or get in your car and get ready, you know, pack up for vacation, get everything packed in the car and sit in there and go, okay, uh, where are we gonna go? 
I mean, we know where we're going before we get in the car. Uh, hopefully, we've purchased plane tickets. We don't just show up at the airport and say, hey, what do you got open? Anybody ever do that? You just showed up at the airport? And I mean, some people say that would be fun. I say that would be a nightmare. But uh, <laughs> that's just the way my mind works. And you don't leave the house without having a reservation. I mean, someone shared with us last week in Sunday school about, you know, how they were just looking for a motel. And usually when you're just looking for a motel and hope you find one, um, you sleep with the light on because you don't know what's going to be crawling around in the room. And so... Um, I'm not as brave as some of you, and so I don't sleep outside. I don't like camping, and so I'm not going to throw my tent in the car and just go. Um, so I like to know where I'm going. But, and generally, we all do. And sometimes we make, take more effort to plan our vacations than we do to plan out you know, what God's will is for our lives. And so we need to make sure that we're walking in his will and in his word. Last week, we talked about staying in debt. Um, of course, not money debt, but the debt to love others. And uh, today, we're going to talk about our clothes. And I titled this, Clothes Do Make the Man. Now, when you're preparing for a trip, I don't know how much thought you put into your wardrobe. I know that there are some wives that pack for their husbands. And uh, my wife has never packed for me. In fact, generally, we always take two suitcases, and uh, I pack my own stuff. I want to be prepared. I want to be prepared for hot, cold, I mean, depending on where you're going, you know, I will study the weather forecast where I'm going. I don't generally get surprised by weather where I'm going. I, I've got clothes to, to put on. I, I generally like to still run on vacation, so I got to pack my running stuff. And I always wear a t-shirt under a shirt, so I got to pack that. And I generally am the world's best overpacker, okay? I don't know that I've ever been on a trip where I did not have enough clothes. Uh, only one time, I guess, when I went to Colorado to, in, to get engaged, when I was back in college, my suitcase did not come with me. Uh, and then at that moment, I learned, um, always pack stuff in your carry-on, um, because if you don't have extra underwear or stuff, you're just stuck. And so, uh, but I had, my, I had my Penguins jersey in there too, my Mario Lemieux jersey, and I'm like, Lord, let it be found. Uh, luckily, my luggage was found just after a day, and uh, it arrived, and you know, praise God for that. But I don't know how much time you put into packing, but I, I assume you don't go into your laundry room and take your hamper and say, okay, this is what I wore this week, and I'm going to go away for a week and just dump those dirty clothes into that suitcase. I'm thinking you put a little more thought into it than that. In fact, I think, I hope you wash your clothes before you put them into the suitcase. In fact, maybe you even wash them so that when you come home, you don't have the smell of laundry that had been sitting there for two weeks while you were gone in the, the house. And so maybe we do that. But, you know, clothes make the man. That's a phrase that we use. And some of you, when you go on vacation, want to dress to impress or you, you, know, you want to have a, a nice dinner out somewhere and so you pack that type of clothes. Um, the idea that clothes make the man is a phrase that we use to say um, how we dress affects how we feel. And if you dress up, you have a tendency to act better. And so we tend to make people dress up because we think that they're going to be more productive at work or they're going to have a better attitude about themselves or other people. And generally, you don't see people in a suit um, acting like a, a 
I don't know, a bad person. And so that's, that's, that's what the phrase means. Now, when you go to work or go to your job, you have clothes that you wear. Uh, maybe your company provides them. You have scrubs. Maybe you have coveralls. Uh, maybe you just wear whatever. Maybe you've just got dirty old clothes that, that, you know, that you put on. I mean, Kedrick works with Mark, and you know, his clothes when he comes home were like, put those in the laundry room, and uh, we just wash them all by themselves when he's accumulated enough during the week because roofing is hard work, and there's a, a smell to those clothes that uh, is not just body odor, it's roof smell. And so it's just, I don't know what it is, but uh, it's just nasty. So put that down there. And uh, maybe you wear a suit to the office. I mean, maybe you're a businessman or a doctor and you have to dress a certain way. Clothes do make them in. And I think the Apostle Paul says the same thing to us, that clothes do make them in here in Romans chapter 13. And unfortunately, I think too many believers spend more time on their um, physical wardrobe than we do on our spiritual wardrobe. And this is what Paul says. We're going to read starting in verse 8 because these are the verses that we have read over these last couple weeks. And so we're going to put 12 through 14 in the context of what we've talked about the last couple weeks. So here it is. Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. For if you love your neighbor, you fulfill the requirement of God's law. The commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbors yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is, time is running out, wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone, the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, immoral living, quarreling, and jealousy. Instead, Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Father, thank you for your word. It's a lamp for our feet. It's a light for our path. Holy Spirit, help us today to glean from it the things that will transform our lives and make us more into the image of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is referring to this time that we live in as night the night is almost gone and the day of salvation is about to dawn. So the dark deeds of worldly living, Paul says, remove those things. I mean, he's almost as, as if you're putting off dirty clothes, remove those dark deeds, cast them aside, throw them off, the patterns and the customs of the world. There is a clear biblical teaching that there are deeds of darkness that as believers we need to take off. Okay, it's not just I prayed the sinner's prayer and now it's all done for me. I have to take off the deeds of the flesh. I have to continuously put these things aside and put them off. And it's gonna require effort, it's gonna require action on my part. Almost every New Testament epistle, almost every one of them, the epistles, have a list where we're being told to take certain things off and put certain things on. 
It's interesting how many times you find that. We're going to look at as many of them as time allows here in just a minute. But when Paul says, put on the shining armor of right living, he uses these words shining, meaning it's going to be obvious. It's not dark. It's not dirty. It's bright. It's shining. And it's armor. He doesn't say, put on your play clothes. Put on your armor. Because we're at war. Whether you feel like we're at war or not, we're at war. And we're not at war with homosexual people. We're at war with principalities and powers, spirits that are trying to destroy human lives. And so we have got to put on the the shining armor of right living. Now here's the one thing I know about clothes. They don't just jump on my body. They don't just jump out of the drawers, although in maybe some of your rooms it looks like it, they, they do. <laughs> some of your kids maybe. Um, but th- you've got to choose them and you've got to put them on. It requires effort. And so when they use this analogy, they're not just saying, you know, God's going to tell you what to do and then force you to do it. God's going to show you the way, but you've got to choose it. You've got to put this stuff on. And if you don't choose to put it on, it's not going to be on you. Now, I understand when we come to Christ, he positions us in righteousness, meaning the moment I accept him as my savior, before God, I stand completely righteous. What I do has no bearing on that. However, I now need to walk in the righteousness that Christ has provided for me, meaning I put on certain actions and deeds to make sure that I walk in the righteousness that he has given me. And so Paul gives us a list here of some things that we're to, we're to take off. He says that we should not participate in the wild parties. Your scripture may say in orgies. What that means is unrestrained indulgence of the flesh. That's all it means. It's not a sexual term. It's just an un, unrestrained indulgence of any sort. Don't do that for the flesh. The excess of drinking, don't be drunk, don't lose your inhibition, keep your senses. In sexual immorality, sexual immorality is literally any sexual act or thought outside of the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Any other type of activity or thought is sin. That should not be a part of our lives. The immoral living, we should throw that off. That just means to lack moral restraint. Quarreling, jealousy, resentment, strife, fighting. These are the the things that Paul lists. Now, he's not listing every possible sin that's out there. He's just giving you a sampling. And from this sampling, you know, we can probably find at least one thing that we got to take off. And we could probably think of some other things that come out of those things that we need to take off. But look at what he says to put on. Put on not good deeds, but put on, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the first thing when I read that that stands out to me is he doesn't say put on the presence of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Everybody wants to put on Savior. Everybody wants to be forgiven of their sins, but we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning boss, commander, chief. What he says, I do. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't do it because I I, I fear that, you know, if I don't do it, he's gonna smite me. I do it because he is way smarter than I ever will be. 
And if he tells me to do something, it is better than what I think. Now, I wish I have mastered this, but I haven't because there are times where I still think I know better than he does and I do something that I think is better than what he has said to do. And I always find I was wrong and he was right. So when we clothe ourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, first off, it's a mindset. It's a mindset because I'm putting on his righteousness. What he did for me on the cross, it's sufficient. Nothing I do can either add or take away from what he has done for me. Okay, I am completely clean before God. And what this does is it, it does away with the condemnation that I would feel. That I don't measure up. I, you know, I, I try my best, but I, I just don't measure up. I don't have to be con- condemned because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So when I put on the mindset of Christ, that's what it does. It also does away with the legalistic approach where I feel like I got to earn something or I got to, you know, and I get lost in that. No, I want to get lost in him. I want to get lost in his presence. I want to say, okay, is what I'm doing today leading me closer to him or further from him? I need his presence in my life and that's what I want. So I'm going to clothe myself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not just a mindset, it's an action. And I know that when we, we look at it this way, sometimes it's, it feels confusing and it's like, well, it either is or it isn't. Because the scripture now tells me what to do as a result of this. I've been positioned in Christ, this is how I'm supposed to live, now this is what I do as a result of that. That doesn't mean that's my salvation. It doesn't mean I've added to my salvation. It just means I'm a new person. This is how the new person acts. So this is how I'm going to start acting. People will teach, Jesus really didn't teach on morality. So, you know, he's not really concerned with our behavior. All he cares about is that we love. True, love is that agape that we talked about last week. It's an action word. And so let's look at what Jesus said about love or action in John chapter 14. Those who accept my commandments, commandments, not my suggestions or my teachings, my commandments, and obey them are the ones who love me. There are a whole lot of people today that say, I love Jesus, and we don't follow his commandments. First John tells us that if we say that, we're a liar. Because they love me, the Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Now, He's not talking about his feelings towards us. He's talking about his actions towards us. If you, if you love me and obey my commandments, I am going to agape you. I'm going to act in love towards you. You're going to see tangible results of what happens because you've done what I've told you to do because you're walking in my ways. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. See, that's important because sometimes people say, well, if, it, if I can't find Jesus actually saying it, then I don't have to do it. But look what he says in John 15. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. You're my friends if you do what I command. He, he ties the Father's commandments in here. So anything in the entire book is Jesus. So if God commands us to do something, just because Jesus himself, we don't have record of it coming out of his mouth, doesn't mean we're off the hook. 
I don't have to do this because Jesus never said anything about it. But if God had an opinion about it and he commanded it in his word, then it's for us to obey. Jesus ties it in right there. Now, Jesus himself talked about breaking the commandments of the law. Don't do it. He talked about anger, hatred, unforgiveness, ignoring the needs of our brothers, adultery, lust, divorce, not fulfilling our vows, lying, keeping our word, loving our enemies. Those are just a sampling of the things that Jesus taught. So I don't know how we get the idea that Jesus didn't care about our behavior or our actions because he talked a lot about our actions and what we should do. And now we have this teaching that says, well, my actions you know, might be one thing, but God knows my heart. Praise the Lord. But Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, a good person produces good things from the treasure of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things out of the treasure of an evil heart. So I don't commit any action that wasn't a result of something in my heart. So we can't separate our actions from our heart. I know that we use that as an excuse in our society today to say, you know, I know I I act a certain way, but that's not what my heart is. You're, you're deceived. The enemy has done a number on us to say, you know what, I, my actions are separate from my heart. No, honey, our hearts prove themselves in our actions, and God sees our hearts, okay? So sometimes there are things in our hearts that have not yet become action, so he even sees those things. So we can't excuse our behavior. The other thing I've thought of is, was every teaching of Jesus ever written down? We're told in John chapter 20, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miracles, miraculous signs, in addition to the ones recorded in this book. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life by the power of his name. Then in chapter 21, Jesus did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that could be written. Meaning, Jesus did things and said things that we didn't write down. But look what he says to his disciples in Matthew 28, right before he goes to heaven. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So what we can infer from that is anything that his disciples then write later in the New Testament is something that Jesus commanded them that they're teaching these new converts. So if I read something in the epistles of Paul or Peter or Jude or James, I can assume that is also a teaching of Jesus that I should apply to my life. And whether it's written in red or not, it's a teaching from him because he train these guys these guys are training us so what does it what do his followers teach let's look at a whole lot of them buckle your seat belts first john 2 we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments someone claims i know god but doesn't obey his commandments that person is a liar and is not living in the truth 1 John chapter 3, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God, and you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. There's that continues to put on the presence of Jesus. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him 
or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. Meaning this is going to be something that can deceive us. Making us think we're okay when it's not. When people do what is right, it shows they are righteous even as Christ is righteous. Now before we get all heaped in condemnation, Jesus is not saying anytime you sin, it proves that you're, you're not really my follower. He says continue in sin. Meaning you are in a pattern, a lifestyle of sin, and you are either excusing it, or you are treating it like it's not a big deal, or you are doing nothing to break from it. You know God's word has said this is sin, have nothing to do with it, and you are either celebrating it, being okay with it, approving it, walking in it regularly. You're doing nothing to stop it. That's what it means to continue in sin. It doesn't mean you made a mistake this week and you shot your mouth off and so it proves you're not a sin. The enemy will come and heap condemnation on us, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this lifestyle of sin. When people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. They can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now we, tell, so now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Jesus, in Revelation chapter 19, this is written by John, Jesus' disciple, but these are the words of Jesus, let us be glad and rejoice, let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. His bride, that's us, has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. The li fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Revelation 22, blessed are those who wash their robes, they will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. I mean, the scripture from beginning to end talks about our, the actions of our lives. And there's a deception that says we can separate them, that we can just love God, be forgiven, and live however we want. First Peter chapter one, one another of Jesus' disciples says, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. You so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. In, verse, in chapter four, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, the terrible worship of, of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. Did you catch that? It's okay to be slandered. And that's what's gonna happen. When we start to stand for what's right, the world's gonna say, don't judge. Who are you to judge? Look at your sin, look at this, look at that. 
It's gonna be slander. But remember, they have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. In 2 Peter, he says, they love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They're a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes. Their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin. They're well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. When people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It'd be better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and reject the command they were given to live a holy life. There's a command to live a holy life, and they rejected it by going back to their old life and just participating in whatever they wanted. Why is that a worse off condition? Because it's a deceptive position. They still attend church, they still pay their tithe, they still do all these things, but they're living for themselves. There's greed, there's sexual immorality with our eyes. There's gossip and slander and hatred and backbiting and all of these nice godly sins that we think are okay. And it's time to say, we gotta cut these things off. The dark deeds, I don't wanna empower the powers of darkness around me. We don't see the consequences of our actions and so we think it's no big deal if I only talk to one other person about someone behind their back, it's not a big deal. What we don't see is we empower the spirit of darkness in the earth when we walk in agreement with them. And we don't wanna do that over our lives, over our church, or over our city. The last scripture from Galatians chapter five. Paul now speaking, and Paul makes lists a lot But here's one. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. I say let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. In other words, if you just try to stop sinning without pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ, without pursuing the Holy Spirit, it's futile and you won't succeed. But you you may try. That's why we pursue the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Because if we pursue him, we're not gonna have time to do what the sinful nature wants. I ain't got time for that. I'm pursuing Jesus. And he is far better than anything that this world has to offer me. It's all empty. There is a pleasure in sin for a season, but it's empty. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. When, the, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So I know that there's outbursts of anger and dissension and division in my life, but the Lord knows my heart. It just said right here, that those things are in my life because I'm following the desires of my sinful nature and I'm not following the Spirit. And so I don't need to sit and ponder whether or not 
this is correct or not correct. I don't need to sit here and be like, oh, woe is me, I'm a terrible person. I just need to say, Lord, I, I'm sinning against you. Just like David, I've sinned against you. I, I repent, I gotta turn from this. Holy Spirit, show me how to follow you and not this. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't judge. If this is what marks consistently our life, we ought to be very afraid that we will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The book I alluded to earlier that I was reading, written by Heath Adamson, he's our national youth director. He grew up addicted to drugs, into Satanism, and the Lord dramatically changed his life, like in the switch came on, boom, and he was saved. And he makes a statement in the, in the chapter that I read yesterday uh, at the pool, and I'm sitting there, and I've been pondering it since then. He says, if you have never experienced the kind of transformation in your life like what I've described in this chapter, I would seriously consider seeking the Lord about ev- whether or not you've ever repented of your sins and given your life fully to him. And I, I stopped and thought, that's such a judgmental statement. But that, that's so true. And sometimes we think because I was raised in church, you know, there, there doesn't have to be a dramatic shift or change in my life because I wasn't so bad. That, that's a deceptive, hollow, f- false teaching. Our lives are just as bad as Heath's were. And so if there's not been a shift in my life, if I haven't passed from death to life, old to new, if I... I don't care whether you were saved as a child or saved as an adult, there should be a a shift. I mean, we've passed from death to life, from dark to light. It's not like they're opposites. There should be a change. So, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, Paul can't possibly list every sin that's out there, but he does a great job of listing most of them. And he tells us, throw these things off and clothe yourself with the Spirit. Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothes do make the man. They do reveal what's going on in our hearts. They do reveal where our loyalty lies. If my life is consistently producing bad fruit, I can't claim to have a good heart. If my life is consistently producing bad fruit, I can't claim that I've surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm not following the desires of his spirit, I'm following my flesh. I mean, I may have had an emotional experience or an encounter with God, and uh, I may have felt sorry, I may have felt shame, I may have cried, I may have said the sinner's prayer, but the proof that I have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ is my life is starting to look more and more like Him. I'm starting to pursue the things that He wants me to pursue. His word clearly defines sin. And if He died to destroy the devil's work in our lives, why would there be sin in it? Whether it's sexual immorality or just slander, it doesn't matter, it's sin. And we have gotta learn to recognize it and stop conforming to the pattern of the world. Do not be deceived. Clothes do make the man. And so Father, I thank you today for your word. 
We don't have to wonder what is right. We don't have to wonder what you're like. God, I thank you today that you are a God full of grace and mercy, that you have never one time treated us as our sins deserved. We deserved punishment. We deserved death. We deserved eternal separation from you. That was what we earned. That was what we had due to us, but you, because of your love and mercy, took that punishment on yourself. Jesus, you willingly came to this earth and you died in our place so that we could have new life. And I thank you that we can stand today in the the shadow of the cross, that we can stand in your blood and be in right standing with with God. But Father, forgive us for the ways that we've allowed deception into our lives, where we have offered or asked for your forgiveness but not surrendered to your lordship, where we have treated repentance as just being sorry and not turning away from our sin. And so God, today we choose repentance. We choose to turn from the deeds of the flesh. We, we want to throw off the deeds of darkness. We don't want to celebrate them. We don't want to rationalize them. We don't want them in our lives. And so Holy Spirit, we need you to show us the steps now that, that we need to take to get these things out of our lives. What we need to cut off, what we need to throw off, how we need to, to make ourselves accountable and confess our sins even one to another. Whatever step that you need to show us today we open our hearts to you. Show us how to live after the things of the Spirit and not after the things of the flesh. Remove every veil of deception from our eyes. Help us today to see every sin that offends you. Teach us to walk in holiness, to be holy like you are holy. Father, I ask for your protection today over every person in this room against the lies of the enemy that would bring condemnation as a result of this message. Father, I pray for conviction of your spirit that leads to godly sorrow and produces true repentance in each of our lives today. But we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would not allow the voice of the enemy to resonate in any heart today. That there would be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for setting before us today life and death. Help us to choose life. As we close service today, the question now for each of us in this room is, have we had an encounter with Jesus that has changed us, that has caused us to pass from death to life, from darkness into light? Have we repented of our sins? Not just prayed for forgiveness, but repented. Prayed to turn from our sin. Are we 
taking the steps that the Spirit has showed us how to cut off the deeds of darkness from our lives? Or have we rationalized any sin in our hearts? I want to invite you to stand with me across this place. If you're here and the answer to that question is a need to repent of anything, I'm going to ask you right now as we, as we wait for just a few moments to slip out of where you are and to come and find a place at this altar and kneel and repent before the Lord. You don't have to repent to any of us, but I want to challenge you to repent before him. If he has spoken to your heart today, don't harden your heart against that. There's a warning in the book of Hebrews that says, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you're here and you've never repented of your sin and accepted Christ as Lord of your life, you need to come and find a place at this altar and do that today. If you've got questions, myself, our prayer team will be available. We'd love to pray with you. But today is a day of repentance. To acknowledge our sin. To turn from it. And to ask the Holy Spirit for the power and the grace to walk in righteousness. So, God, that's our desire today. Holy Spirit, fill us with strength, with power, with grace today. As your word says, when we come before your throne, we will receive grace to help us in our time of need. Father, forgive us of the things that we have excused, the things that we have rationalized, the things that we have allowed to creep back into our lives, those old ways of living that we've drifted back into. Holy Spirit, help us to clothe ourselves today with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in every thought, in every word, and in every action. We pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go this morning.